listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We just pray that your spirit would be with us, that you would guide us into your truth, that we would see your heart, and that we would be able to honor each other in the uniqueness that you have created us. We just pray your blessing on each and every person in this place. We pray for your protection over our minds, our attention, our hearts, that you would just speak to us and speak truth to us in this time. Amen. one half of the image of God. Innermost cells to outermost frame, DNA, bones, and chromosomes. Birth to death, conception to disintegration. She is female. Her ease or hardship are inscribed in her bones. Her skeleton tells her stories. Disease, childbirth, nutrition, age. Her grave and her lifeless body cry out a woman's life. Her smaller body matures faster but runs slower. She tires faster but lives longer. Her less muscular body has its own strength, built to withstand famine and disease and see enough sunrises to grow gray hair. She is female. The beautiful mystery, creating, recreating, procreating, and renovating the next humanity, connecting the ancestors with the descendants, the past and the future, knit together in a tiny, helpless bundle of possibility. Two parts make a whole, male and female. Womb, childbearer, child carrier, fertile ground, the curse of Eve and the blessing, adds value and detracts, defines and destroys. Her body holds, expands, encompasses, sustains, and nourishes new life. Her body is torn asunder. That possibility violently explodes into reality. From death comes life, and from life comes death. How many die so that life can win? Blood and water, tears of pain and joy, grief and change, a microcosm of life in one first cry. She is a mother. But is she a woman? Does womanhood begin at menarche, marriage, or maternity? At circumcision, coming of age, or quinceanera? Does it come through the birth of sons or through the acquisition of daughters-in-law? What if she never recreates herself and her womb remains empty? She is female, but can she still be a woman? She sounds like a woman. Language, grammar, pronunciation. Her voice and her songs, her stories and her jokes, her laughter, her tears. She even sounds like a woman in her silence. She looks like a woman. Her pink, her black, her burqa, her dress, her gomacy, her habit, 
her chemise and her weeple. She advertises that she is a woman by covering up. Adorned in jewels and bangles, henna and lace, curls and flowers, she must show she is a woman. But that is not enough. Ethnicity, class, religion, marital status, and age. What kind of woman is she? Not all women are created equal, and not all women are the same. Young, old, maiden, spinster, widow. Muslim, Catholic, Hindu, Christian, pagan. Rich, poor, middle class. Third world, modern. Civilized, savage, primitive. Urban, rural. Illiterate or educated. Slave or free. Servant or master. Adjectives matter. Woman's work, woman's job, women's sphere. Domestic, a woman's place. Adjectives matter. Woman, female, the opposite of male. Can man be defined without woman? And can woman be defined without male? Or without man? The other. She's the helpmate, the missing rib, his biggest fan, his other half, his support, his completion. She's the temptress, the seductress, the thorn in his side, his distraction, his destruction, his pollution. She is dangerous. Mysterious, uncontrolled, and incomprehensible. She must be dominated, tamed, and bridled. She is his conquest, his trophy, his mirror. You play like a girl. You run like a girl, scream like a girl, and act like a girl. That's a girl's job. Stop being such a girl. Girls can't do that. You are only a woman. You are a woman. An insult, a blemish, a detraction, a definition. Not enough. Never enough. Starve, purge, fatten, bind, cut, primp, paint, and fix. Pursue beauty, find worth, seek value. She wars with her biology, but she was born with this body. How can she escape it? The last resort queen, judge, and successor. Her birth is unfortunate, unlucky. The unwanted daughters that are buried in death before their birth. The family burdens. The caretaker, the nurturer, the rock the strength. She ties the family together. Protector of the home and hearth, tradition and ritual. Caring for the weak, the sick, the young, the old, the poor. Mistress of her castle and matriarch of her kin. Respected by her people, she carries the family burdens. She is half of the image of God. What does that mean? I am an anthropologist. (laughs) 
That means I spend a lot of time people watching. What makes us the same around the world? What makes us different? What are the things that are biologically written into our DNA? And what are the things that we breathe through the atmosphere of the people and the geography in which we inhabit? And it means I overthink everything. <laughs> but as an anthropologist, I want to know what are the unconscious maps in our head that teach us how to behave, how to think, how to act, and how to interpret our world. I've heard it compared to a fish in water. The fish doesn't know what kind of water it's in until it's out of it. And then what does it do? Right? <laughs> Is it salt water, warm water, cold water? The fish doesn't know. And my job as an anthropologist is to test the water. And so I've been on a long journey understanding what does it mean to be a woman? Separate from what my particular world that I grew up in said, what does it mean from a global perspective, from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective? And there are no easy answers. So, <laughs> I inhabit a living symbol. As I move in and out of different people groups, I find that people will read me differently. I am a book with a cover that I may not always be able to interpret. My body is hyperlinked. What I mean is, in the same way that in Wikipedia, you read an article and you've got those little hyperlinks that will lead you on this unending bunny trail where you don't even know how you ended up where you started. That's the same with who we are as people. People read us. We may not always know what it is that they're reading. There's symbols attached to what we wear, how we dress, how we speak, how we carry ourselves, who we are. And those symbols influence how we see the world and how people treat us. And I've been trying to le learn as I hop in and out of different cultural groups, what are those symbols and how do those influence me? I remember the first time that I really started thinking about what it meant to be a woman was after I got married. I mean, of course, growing up, you know, I realized, you know, not everybody plays with princess dresses and baby dolls as much as I did, but it really didn't sink in that that was not what everybody did. Because, you know, kids, we think that we are the world, right? <laughs> and after marriage, it's like this realization that I'm not a man. I mean, my husband is fantastic, but when you're all like, you know, when I grew up with my dad and brother, we had separate bedrooms. I had a TV in my room. We wouldn't have to choose what was on. We didn't have to pay bills together. I had my own allowance, right? I get married and all of a sudden I'm sharing a room and bills and a calendar and a life with not only another person, but another person who is wired completely different than myself. And I learn really quickly what those differences are. And sometimes really slowly what those differences are. <laughs> you learn that there's those, you know, there's some things that are just my personality, right? And there's other things that's like, oh no, that's just part of my wiring, like deeper than my personality, right? That's not Tara, that's woman. Like, and other things that come out that like, that's just American, sorry world. Like, <laughs> it's that, those layers that come out in daily life that it's like, what do I even do with that? 
And I've had to think a lot about that. I love talking with my grandmother. She's 94, white hair, sparkling blue eyes, an inhuman patience, and a fierce independence. She's one of the ones that has taught me the most about womanhood. Do you know how? Backpacking, the essence of womanhood. We go climbing and hiking and staying in her cabin without electricity and running water and spend hours telling stories by the fire. And she tells me about the things she loves, what she's seen, how she's experienced her life, and she is a beautiful soul. She let me know about how, when she was in college studying to be a nurse, one of their favorite things to do with her friends was dress up in her best dress, her white gloves, and her hat, and take the electric streetcar to downtown, back when they had that, back when that still existed, and go window shopping with her friends, and they'd spend time picking out their favorite patterns of china, planning for their future wives as, as wives and mother, and then they would buy a cup here, a piece of silver here, to put in their hope chest so they'd be all ready to be a wife. She taught me a trick that her mother taught her, that if she was too busy to cook, all she would have to do is throw some onions in butter as soon as her husband came home, and he'd come home and go, wow, it smells great. <laughs> and no one would know that she hadn't started cooking. <laughs> She had a saying that a man works from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. You learn the truth of that when babies are born. <laughs> One of the things I love about her is when I asked her her favorite season of life, she said when her babies were small. And for me, with small babies, I said, that was your favorite? <laughs> Lord, help me survive another day. But that perspective and the genuineness and the love in which she said it, she loved being a wife and mother. And sometimes I need to hear that, especially on the days when there really hasn't been enough sleep. It's that, that blessing of she loved her role. Now, I remember the last time my grandfather was able to go hiking with us. My grandma had to kneel on the ground to tie his shoelaces for him because he couldn't reach. And they stayed up late telling stories. After over 60 years of marriage, this last November, 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 my grandmother spent the entire night singing grandpa's favorite hymns to him in, his, in her cracked, tear-stained voice before she told him it was okay, that he could go. And she said goodbye to him forever. And she still weeps because she was so thankful she was able to spend that time with him. She taught me strength, dignity, and beauty, and lessons of what it means to be a woman in her own unique, wonderful way. Now, it looks different in so many different places for different people, right? When Ivan brought me home to his village, they had to make sure I was a woman, and so they sent me to the well with a jerry can of water this big and said, fill it up and carry it back on your head. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got back, they said, okay, 
that was pretty good. We're going to have pity on you and not make you make tea for us all over firewood. But come share our food with us. For them, womanhood was strength, hard work, and sharing community because hard work is better with other women around. And they were beautiful in that. And there was another friend I met who got her master's degree in London, came back to Uganda, and though she didn't have children of her own, spent all of her extra money sending her 30 brothers and sisters through school, giving home to at least 10 of them at a time. And yet every time I stopped by to visit, she always had a space for me to sleep, food, and she sent me home with transport because she said, you're another one of my kids. <laughs> that heart that's big enough to always have room for more. My version of womanhood seems to be a constant juggling act these days. You know those days of getting ready for a job interview? Everything is ironed, pressed, and made up, only to realize there's sweet potato on my shirt. <laughs> or when I stay up really late finishing up something, and I know that at 6.55 in the morning, my human alarm clock is going to go off, rain, shine, or hurricane. Mommy, 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 mommy. And I'm going to have to get up, and my son's going to say, Mommy, you need more coffee so you're less grumpy. <laughs> or <laughs> those days when I managed to do everything, and I think I've nailed it, right? Everyone's dressed, cleaned, put together, fed, and I get to where I'm going and realize I have one brown shoe and one black one. <laughs> and life goes on, right? It's a constant process, disentangling our ideals of culture versus what, has, what God has called us to in our own particular slice of life. One of my favorite activities with my students is splitting them up into guys and girls and making them come up with a list of the best compliment and the worst insult you can give a man versus a woman. And then we compare lists, and it is insightful and hilarious. And there's been... There's been some points I had to intervene to keep punches from being thrown. But it's dragging out into the light those things we keep inside us and never analyze. What are the things that we hold on to that may not be of God? And what are the things that are? What are the parts of me that are bent and broken and in need of redemption? And what are the things that don't? And what are the things that are my unique journey as a woman? Remember, there was a day that uh, Ivan said he uh, knew what it was like to be a woman because he was married to one. And then, before I punched him in the face, <laughs> he called me out and said, it's just like you think you know what it's like to be a Ugandan immigrant because you're married to one. And I said, Oh, you just nailed it on the head. <laughs> because I don't. He has his unique struggles because of who he is as a person that I don't have. I can watch, I can listen, I can learn and be strengthened and sharpened by him, but I am not him, and he has his burdens that he will carry with only the help of Christ. And the same is true with me. He supports me, and he is wonderful, but he is never going to understand being a woman fully. He can try, and God bless him for trying, because some days I don't even understand it, right? It's like, did you just 
completely contradict what you said yesterday? I'm like, well, yeah, that's normal. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> but that's part of it. And we are going to drive each other crazy because we think differently, right? It's that ridiculous incompatibility that makes marriage beautiful. The unity and diversity, that delicate balancing act of how you take two people from completely different worlds and try to live together in a way that makes sense because we need each other's strengths and weaknesses. And if my strength is dependent on his weakness, we fail. And if his strength is dependent on my weakness, we fail. We only win when we push each other forward to find our strength rooted in Christ together. And that delicate balance between interdependence and independence, vulnerability and strength, where we learn to honor each other for our uniquenesses as man and woman, that makes the beautiful mystery of marriage. The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be a woman. And I've read lots of different competing ideas on all sides. And I think that's interesting is to look at how a person's viewpoint will influence how they interpret some of these passages. But today we're going to read um, Proverbs 31 because it's Mother's Day and that's what we should do. So Proverbs 31, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a really long, it's really long. So we're going to summarize. A wife of noble character who can find She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. It goes on and says all the great things she does. And then we go into, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. I grew up with parts of this passage permanently put on t-shirts and sweatshirts and bumper stickers, right? It was like high school. This is what we did all the time, was talking about how charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think I've interacted with that concept in different ways over time, right? Because as we grow, we see things a different way. That's the beautiful thing about the word of God is it grows with us. But I think for me, I grew up building dollhouses and playing house in a context of a lot of girls who liked to play basketball and football and could run faster and hit harder than a lot of the boys we hung out with. And I felt a little weird. It's like I wanted to, be, I wanted to wear dresses and be pink and sparkly, 
while a lot of my friends wanted to wear blue and watch sports. And they're wonderful women, and I love them dearly, but I always felt a little bit like I was a zebra and a herd of donkeys, or vice versa. Like, <laughs> it was in the cultural context that I grew up in, there was a different set of values than in my than previous generations, because things change over time according to what a particular society sees as valuable. What kind of women do we want, right? That's what we're going to try to emulate, create, encourage. And so, I do remember, though, that challenge with this concept of beauty. It used to be, when I was really little, that beauty just meant all the princess dresses that I could find. And that was just so great, right? It doesn't matter if I'm rolling in the dirt, I still want to wear a princess dress. But when I became a teenager, beauty became something different. It was, no, it was something that you had to perpetually seek but could never really attain. And as a perpetually awkward, shy, socially inept teenager, I could never be enough. The insecurity would gnaw at my soul like a gopher, digging holes and undermining my sense of self until all the time was spent focusing on what I lacked and what I needed to do to try to gain approval and what did other people think of me. When Christ first got me, one of the first things he said that transformed my life was, I love you. His kind, patient voice resonated in my soul and began to melt my winter from the inside out. But it was a long process of healing before I could let that take root, that sense of approval where Christ said, I love you, period. There's no because, just I love you. And in high school and college, when beauty crashed upon my group of girlfriends like a plague. It was rough. I remember the hours and hours that girls spent straightening their hair or curling it, painting and tanning, shopping and sorting, and then came the diets, the sit-ups, the push-ups, the long runs, the never-ending attempt for flat abs, tight legs, and the perfect waistline, which was never enough. Even the most beautiful of the girls that I knew were eating themselves up, wishing they were something that they weren't. Then I remember when the eating disorders kicked in. And a normal part of life was girls talking about how much they hated themselves. It was the endless battle with their biology, telling them that they could never be enough. When I was 19 and sitting on the side of a road with a friend in Kenya, she said something that revolutionized my life. This other 19-year-old girl from Kenya just said, I am a beautiful woman. She didn't say it in pride or vanity. She just said it. And I just sat there going, I mean, it's true, you are, but you just said it. There was no looking for approval, no asking what anybody else thought, if anybody else agreed with them, or what you did to attain it. You just said you were. And it was a truth I had never heard spoken from another one of my American friends. And she crashed through my concept of womanhood and lifted a weight I hadn't known I was carrying. 
In her context, she had a different set of battles than I did. In her context, women wanted to be heavier instead of lighter. How do they add weight? They wanted to be lighter instead of tanner. Instead of the tanning salons, it was the skin bleaching creams. Because they had a different set of impossibility to attain. And during that season, when God was trying to work on healing my soul, I sat in a dimly lit cabin, listening to the sound of the Nile crashing down Bujigali Falls, and God spoke to me. And he said, my daughter, open your eyes. You are loved. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have sought your heart and I try to make it live. Don't hide and crawl away. My daughter, be open. Be vulnerable. You will get hurt, but do not fear the pain. My daughter, I have loved without asking in return. Your worth is not measured in blood, or in gold, but in blood. I have pursued you. Fragile one, be strong in grace. My love flows stronger than the Nile's torrents. My child, precious child, you have worth. I have searched you, and I know you. If you believed you had worth, how powerful you would be. How strong, how beautiful. The enemy will work with all of his might to keep you from believing it. From the moment you wake up, he's at it, whispering accusations. You don't deserve it. You're worthless. You're stupid. You're ugly. Give up. Hide. Withdraw. Die. Stop. Run. And shut your mouth. Those are lies. My child, don't stop hoping. If you stop hoping, your heart will die. It hurts to live. But you need not fear pain, for the pain will make you strong. So will the waiting. But wait on me. Rejoice in me. Long for me. Be in awe of me. When you hope in me, you will not be disappointed. And he healed part of my heart that day in a way I had never experienced before where I could internalize the fact that I was fearfully and wonderfully made and treasured in his eyes. And that gave me a sense of power and healing and love that I had never experienced. But it came from him and not from anything else. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. It comes, if my beauty comes from comparison and what is hardest to attain in my particular culture, then its roots are shallow and it will wither. But when it comes in the fact that I fear the Lord and reflect his image, then it can last throughout seasons and generations. Because how the seasons can change, 
right? I love, I saw a documentary on the Apache girls' initiation into womanhood. They take these teenage girls and they emulate the different seasons of womanhood throughout life as a mirror of their creation story, where they go through what is important for a girl as the maiden, as a mother, and as an elder. And they go through the fact that what they call becoming the changing woman, because you're never the same, right? And what the ideals that we inhabit in one season are not the ideals that we inhabit necessarily in another, because life changes, right? I certainly can't manage the same things I managed before I had kids. And my sweet 94-year-old grandmother cannot do the same things she did when she was 80 or 70 or 40, right? It looks differently. And I appreciate the fact that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised no matter the age or life stage, no matter the biological capacity or the role. Because sometimes the roles that I fill feel like shoes that are a little too tight. And sometimes I can be at war with my biology. Why can't I do the things that I feel like I should do on two hours of sleep? Right? <laughs> and there is a constant pressure to, feel up to live up to a standard that is not necessarily mine, that I can never necessarily hope to fill. But what does it mean to be a woman that fears the Lord? How easy it is to fear other things besides the Lord. To disbelieve the heart of God and to want to take over control because I don't believe he's in control. Like Eve, I want to step in and be like God and think I can do a better job than he is. And part of being a woman of God is to let go of that fear and see God has, say God has closed me in strength and dignity and he has given me his own strength in him. He has designed my innermost being, the exact times and places for me to live and in him we live and move and have our being. He can use me as I am in all my glorious weaknesses and strengths, right? And that is where my identity comes. Not from the roles that I fill, the people I am attached to, the body that I inhabit, or the, op the career that I have or the jobs that I do. It is rooted in the God who gave me everything and whose image is seared into my soul and reflected in my DNA, because everything else is fleeting, changeable, and temporary. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Then why is it sometimes that these are the ones who are praised the least? I read a lot of commentators on Proverbs 31. They entertained me sometimes. There was the ones that said, Proverbs 31 woman, see women should be able to work outside the home. And then there was the one that said, Proverbs 31, see, women should only work inside the home. I said, you just used the same verse to prove the opposite point. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in both. And that's the thing, is the beauty to be able to say, as a woman, God can use me in so many different ways and be good. As long as I'm obedient to what he's leading me to, and I'm doing it for his glory and not for mine. One of my commentators that I really appreciated, though, was the one who made the point that this verse 
wasn't necessarily written to tell women what to do. It was written to tell men what to do. <laughs> because how does... I go back. How does it start? A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. And then it finishes up saying, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So what is it saying? Dude, appreciate your woman. <laughs> if your wife looks or your mother or your sister or your best friend looks like the Proverbs 31 woman in any way, say it. Amen. Say good work. Because <laughs> sometimes womanhood can feel a lot like electricity. You don't notice it until it fails. And you never take the time to appreciate it until it's not there. It's the invisible infrastructure that runs through life, tying families and peoples and social groups together, creating and recreating what it means to be human for the next gener generation. But you don't necessarily take the time to notice it. Are the women in your life hardworking? Do they stay up late to make sure the dishes are done and that email is sent? Do they gather people together and make sure they are fed? Do they share generously with the poor and needy and teach their children about hard work and compassion? Do they speak wisdom? Do they make sure the kids are dressed warmly enough and have a snack when going out? Do they have a purse that seems like Mary Poppins' purse where there's always another something that you need just at the right time? <laughs> Do they remember to buy the birthday present for the party or organize food for that family event? Just because they are women does not mean their work is easy or automatic. It's interesting in the Proverbs 31 verse, verses, set of verses, it talks about a woman's arm or hands six times. That's the only body part that's mentioned. And she is honored for what they do, how she does her work, how she does her stuff. Honor her for the work of her hands, because it is not easy. Praise her, honor her, speak out the good, the good things that she does because your children are watching and will emulate what you praise. Your village is watching and they will take notice of what you do and agree with what you speak. If you tear her down, so will they. And so will your children and your daughters will want to become the kind of woman that you praise. Your words have the power to give life and to take it. Feed the souls of the women around you and use your words to reinforce the qualities that are worth more than rubies. Thank you. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.